time for Gene Shepard, author, raconteur, and commentator of the contemporary scene. Here's Gene. Well, 
I spent a lot of time hiding under one of those things at one desperate period in my life, and I can only tell you that, uh, that when one of those things goes bad, it takes a repairman not only with a fantastic square wave generator to deal with it, but iron nerves, also a good pair of rubber shoes, because uh, that little mother will ionize you, I'm telling you, quicker than the electric chair at Sing Sing. <laughs> it's quicker and much more spectacular. And more than that, nobody ever tries to get you paroled. Uh, when you go that way, you go. I mean, G-O. Uh, but uh, I, I don't want to bring up this morbid type stuff on a night like this. You know, by the way, I do have some good news to relate to you. So get ready in there, Mario. Watch for my cue. I'll tell you, uh, I do have some good news to relate to you that uh, have you noticed that there's been a fantastic rise ever since the the uh, Democratic convention here in New York. There's a tremendous rise in the stock of Skippy peanut butter. <laughs> I repeat that. Listen, this is your, your stock tip of the week. There's been a tremendous rise in the stock of Skippy peanut butter. <laughs> Good. Now reset that because I'm going to use that again. There's been a big rise. <laughs> now, now I, I thought about this for a while. You know, you're used to AT&T going up or, or uh, something like uh, Great Western Motels, one of those great stocks, yeah. Uh, you, you, uh, you, can, you know, uh, and then, of course, there's a whole lot of stocks that have these mysterious names, like uh, Oniotic Radex. You see, it's gone up three points. What do they make? Nobody knows. They just make a stock. That's it. Uh, there are certain stocks that are free form. I mean, they have nothing to do with, with any company or product. <laughs> they have numbers like DLM, Inc. And uh, you buy one of those, and uh, you, you deserve what you get, as a matter of fact, which is often quite nothing. You don't even often get the stock certificate. But uh, that's <laughs> there's one born. Uh, you know, that's not true. There isn't one born every minute. You've heard that old expression, one born every minute. That was before the population explosion. Of course, uh, this is what uh, P.T. Barnum said back in the 1880s, but now in the 1976 period, there's probably two, three hundred born every minute. And uh, they're out there ready and ripe for the shucking. Incidentally, somebody, uh, somebody asked me, uh, you know, <laughs> we are, I, I was sitting there, you know, in the chock full of nuts, and I said to my friend Stan, you know, I said, Stan said, he said, you know, I don't know what the hell's going on with a country. He gets like that when he sits in the chalk. And, uh, yeah, you do. Uh, after a while, you know, those, those, those seats in the chalk are especially designed to uh, touch you in very nervous, uh, touchy points of uh, nerve endings. No, 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 those, those seats in the chalk are especially scientifically designed. You're supposed to spend exactly 17 minutes uh, enjoying a seven-course meal at the chalk. Uh, because, after all, the name of the game in fast food is fast, not food. Uh, the the key word is fast. So the key the turnover, of course, is fantastic. What happens is that if you sit on one of those seats more than 17 minutes, first of all, your left leg falls asleep. It starts out with the left leg, and it slowly creeps up your backbone. And uh, when it finally reaches the brain and you topple over sideways, they just move you out on the Sixth Avenue. And uh, that's all there is to it. And so Stan gets moody in the chalk. And I said, well, what's the matter, Stan? So what do you mean? What's the matter? This is the, the world is going crazy. I said, Stan, that's not true. I mean, if that's assume what you're saying, the world is going crazy. That's an assumption you're making that the world was once sane. What kind of a nutty, you know? This is a uh, this is an arguable idea. 
I mean, are you trying to tell me the world is less crazy than it was during the days of Genghis Khan? I said, who was that? I said, who was Genghis Khan? I want to tell you. <laughs> if you think Mr. Bullard at the office is tough, you should have worked for, for old Khan. He was something else, I'll tell you. They say, though, that he took care of his friends well. It was only his enemies that were in trouble. And Stan thought about that for a minute. He says, you know, it's, uh, you know I never thought of it that way. You know, everybody keeps saying the world is going crazy, but it really isn't going crazy. It's just the world. I sustain, you don't think it's any better on Mars, do you? I mean, you know, with that little machine up there digging holes in the ground, and uh, can, you see, can you see two Martians? You know, this thing does not take a picture, you understand? If there was an actual moving, walking around creature, it couldn't get a picture of it. You know that, because it's slow-scan TV. So there could be 25 guys walking around this thing all the time. We'd never get a picture of it. You know that. It just looks like a plane. But it could be a lot of guys walking around there looking at this. And I can just see two or three of them standing there looking at it. You know, and they've been looking at it for maybe a couple of days now. And one of them says, it's starting to feed. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's reaching down into the ground. <laughs> and he says, you know, that son of a gun eats dirt. He says, well, I'll be damned. And uh, they, they keep <laughs> they keep moving around back there. And one says, look at that thing. He says, you know, for years, for years they've been telling us here that something from, was going to come from outer space and it was going to have antennas all over it. And that thing's got antennas all over it. It's hard to believe. Science fiction is right. Well, you know, you think like that when you're sitting in the chalk. And I'm talking to Stan. I says, you know, Stan, I'll tell you, things aren't as bad as it seems. You know, Skippy peanut butter stock is soaring. He said, why? I said, Stan, why? Jimmy Carter. Peanuts. And he said, no kid. Oh, yes, of course. Carter Peanuts. When, when Lyndon Johnson was in office, the Stetson Hat Company stock went out of sight. For heaven's sakes, yes. And when, when Kennedy was in office, all these uh, very fancy hairdo joints for men opened up all over the place with guys named Mr. Chucky. They were giving you a JFK haircut. Of course, I remember that. No wonder they're coming out with all this peanut butter stuff. And I said, not only that, has it occurred to you... Watch now, I want to sneeze now. Has it occurred to you, I said, Stan, that Jimmy Carter looks exactly like Skippy? <coughs> yes, Skippy. Do you, do you know who Skippy was? Yeah, well, that's right. Historical perspective. You think that Skippy peanut butter is named after people jumping rope or something? There was a comic strip character named Skippy. And not only that, there was an actor, there was an actor, I'll ask you a piece of, of trivia, there was an actor who became a star as a kid. He was like six years old when he played it. He played that role twice in great major movies, and he's still around. Who was that actor? He looks just like Skippy. No, it was not Bert Lahr. Huh? Who? Hooper? No, Dennis Hopper you're talking about. No, he, he played other comic strip characters. Are you talking about Jackie Cooper? Not Coogan, Cooper. Jackie Cooper. Well, do you notice he looks like Jimmy Carter? Well, <laughs> okay. And the reason that Jackie Cooper played Skippy was that he looked like Skippy. Ah, now it begins to follow. You know, and, and I thought, well, no wonder he's making it big. Okay, now, Carter has a deep, subliminal, 
attraction for people. And uh, no, it's not the smile. Oh, many people got smiles. No, 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 not at all. The smile will carry you not past the front door. Any good vacuum cleaner salesman told you that. He can say the smile will not do it. And what is it? Well, it's the overall look of a combination of Skippy and Huck Finn, which are great classical American fictional characters. And, no, I'm very serious. And I say that, that eventually there will be, there will be uh, candidates who will remind you vaguely of Tank McNamara. And you'll be pleased. You know, you'll vote for him for that reason, because you like Tank. There will be, uh, yeah, there will be uh, candidates come along. And, for example, uh, uh, any candidate who has a mother who looks like Mary Worth has got half of the West Virginia delegates right there. And uh, <laughs> I'm serious. All these characters are very subliminally in our mind, you see. And, and uh, have you noticed that, that uh, John Glenn looks almost exactly, I mean, when he had hair, he looks almost exactly like Buck Rogers. That's right. No, no. Oh, no, no. John Glenn at his very peak, if you remember John Glenn, he was not fatter. John Glenn weighed about 27 pounds when he was sent out into space. That's because you have a bad memory, buddy. John Glenn <laughs> looked like, looked like uh, Buck Rogers. Now, now, on the other hand, I think one of the reasons that, uh, that everybody in this town went totally ape over John Lindsay was because he really, under the right light, just the right light, of course. It had to be the right light coming down. He looked like Flash Gordon playing it straight. Yes, the wavy blonde hair, the high cheekbones, the uh, the intrepid looking eyes. Yes, that's right. And uh, the only thing wrong, his wife did not look like Wilma Deering or uh, Ardala. <laughs> hey, hey, listen. Speaking of uh, of. Uh, the way it's going. And, I, you know, I have to keep telling my friend Stan, it's going to be all right. I know it's going to be all right when you see stuff like this. I, On Route 22 the other day, I saw a bumper sticker. You know, bumper stickers really are uh, an interesting gauge of the way the world is going. You know, for a couple of years, bumper stickers were really hopeless. I mean, they, they were. The, that was when we were going through our existential mysticism stage. Like a bumper sticker would say, don't blame me. Or uh, impeach everybody. Or uh, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, they said you know things like uh, life is not worth living, you know things of that nature. No, no, no. They that that was that was a period in history. It's all gone. Although some people don't know it's gone, it is all gone. Now the bumper sticker has taken another turn. I saw a bumper sticker that said, and I quote: "Think polka." Now, think about that for a minute. Think polka. And I found that in New York. I mean, in New York, that, that's incredible. Now, this could be a trend. I mean, uh, for example, you, no, no, you can really, you can, you, can't you just see a, a, uh, a bumper sticker that says, uh, think two-step. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the hell you do when you think polka. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, I said, think polka. And I'm driving along there in this fantastic hassle of traffic. I said, think polka. I said, I'll bet 75% of the drivers around here don't even know what a good polka sounds like. One, a two, a one. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha. 
And at, it's again, I never knew I did. He said, you did that, remember last summer? And uh, of course, he remembered every play, every card, and every every dumb bid that had ever been made by us sitting in the basement. Well, now, Bolas's mother would walk around. See, she was a Polish lady, and she wore a shawl on her head, and she would walk around and spoke nothing but Polish. She lived in this country for like 100 years and spoke nothing but Polish. And so it got to the point where we would speak. That's all we did. We spoke a pigeon half-baked Polish. And I would come over to... Yes, I still do. So I would come over to Bolas's house, and, and if he wasn't there, see, she would look out of the door and say, Bolas, not here. And at that point, I would I would say something to her that we'd talk. And, of course, being nine years old, you don't think in terms, gee, I can speak Polish. It was just what I had to say to Mrs. Bolas Rakowski. And, uh, by the way, he had, his, he had his, this great brother, Stash, common Polish name, Stash. Stash and Ace is a big name, too. Stash, Ace, yes, Bolas, uh, better known as Bolek in, in the actual language. Well, then what we would do, see, when we got through playing Pinochle there, we would drift down the alley, and we would go to Gezanima's house. Now, that was Hungarian. And uh, his mother spoke Hungarian. So she would holler down the steps. There was a very different kind of a culture, whole, totally different. These were wild gypsy Magyars. <laughs> I mean, you know, the kind of stuff. With it. Oh, yes, fantastic. I'll never forget the time Mrs. Mrs. Nemeth got bugged at me. I don't remember what it was about. But you just can't imagine this in the Spock world. This is a mother of a, of a you know, kid that you're visiting. See, she got really mad at me and hollered at me in, in, uh, in Hungarian. Now, at the time, I spoke enough Hungarian to know what she said. And I knew I'd better get the hell out. So I ran across the yard. She made a sudden quick grab and just peeled my polo shirt off of me the way an orangutan peels a banana. I mean, <laughs> under the fence I went. Well, uh, you just can't imagine. You know, she just, she just, she was a, a totally full-passioned lady, uh, much in the style of Anna Magnani. Uh, yes, and Geza, of course, uh, was, we were always in the basement. In Geza's house, it's a whole different thing, you know. The, uh, we were eating stuff like, over there. We were eating stuff like, uh, like cherry dumplings. You ever had those? Paprika, paprika, paprika stecos. So, uh, yeah. and so yeah, up, upstairs, you know, they were always yelling back and forth, and the, and the word they yelled constantly was, Tashik! You know what's that, that, what that means? You don't. Well, that's your uh, homework for today. You can look that up. Well, so this was, you know, we were all living together. We all knew each other intimately. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, we grew up together, and uh, all of us, uh, and so finally we're going to graduate from high school. Now, in, in, in the outside world, none of this ever entered. So when we were in school, Bolas was just like any other high school kid. Absolutely. No. It's only in the East that people make a big thing of their ethnic heritage. In most other parts of the country, it's just there. You know, it's like making a big thing of gravity. You don't quite often, you know, you don't walk around daily and say, hey, have you noticed that stuff falls down when you drop it? Well, uh, <laughs> it's just not like that out there. So anyway... You know, there were all kinds of Lithuanians, Ukrainians, uh, Hungarians, Czechoslovakians, thousands of Swedes, incidentally, and the Norgies. Uh, oh, yeah, so, well, listen, I spoke uh, a pidgin Swedish for a while. I used to go around saying things like glug, schwenskapulka, and, uh, you know, and sitting around there eating this, uh, you know, <laughs> pickled the herrings and stuff. So, yeah, I was going with a girl whose mother was a Laplander. 
Now, you know, the, the idea of New York being a melting pot is a joke. It never... Yes, plenty. Yeah, but we hear too much about that. So why should I talk about the obvious? What are you laughing about, Marty? Yes, there were plenty of blacks, of course. But what's the point of that, see? I'm saying that we know about that. But how many people talk about having uh, Hungarians and Croatians as friends? So this is, this is the way it is in the Midwest, and, and, or at least that part of the country. Now, one day, I'll never forget this sudden realization, though, that underneath it all, cultures really don't mix. Now, it's one of these great human ideas, you know, that they do. But uh, when all is said and done, underneath it all, I don't know. I'm walking down the street. It's one week after I've graduated from high school. I remember it vividly because it happened right in the middle of summer. The whole great, glorious, fantastic, strange experience. I'm walking down the street, and here's Bolas coming towards me. I mean, Bolas, we've been friends since like we were six. Bolas walked down the street, and I'm walking down the street towards him, and I said, Hey, how are you, Bolas? Bolas is a great athlete. Uh, oh, yeah, he really was. He, and by the way, the national game is, uh, of, uh, of many of the people of that area is softball. The softball players uh, of, of St. Ignatius, I personally used to play constantly against uh, Our Lady of Perpetual Help. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, that's right. And I also played, I'll never forget one night, I played, I played for the United Brethren. I was a ringer. I, I, I got 25 bucks a game playing for, for uh, church softball. It's a very fast league, incidentally, at night games. Hey, they get about 2,000, 20, maybe sometimes 15, 20,000 people in those games. They really come. So I, I played third base one night for the United Brethren. And I never heard of the church. I never went there. But I had one of their jerseys. So I'm playing for the UB one night. And we're playing against Immaculate Conception. And, uh, yeah, well, you know, that was just another game. And talk about a fantastic ball game. We had a fight that broke out at about the sixth inning. And, and yes, these games often result in that. You know, there was a fantastic fight broke out. And uh, the next thing I know, the crowd is coming in over the, from the stadium. Everything's people are crowding in, and I could hear the sirens coming. And the next day in the paper, there was a headline. It said, uh, "United Brethren and Immaculate Conception riot, three jailed." <laughs> I like the United Brethren. So I'm walking down the street when Bola says to me, "Hey," he says, "Listen, you're coming to my wedding." I says, "Your wedding? Are you kidding, Bolas? Bolas? I mean." We, our little tiny group was a group of total misogynists. Uh, no, I mean, uh, there was not one of us that was, you know, interested in the women at that time. We were playing ball and doing the whole thing, soldering stuff together, playing pinochle, and Bolas suddenly announces he's getting married. I said, getting married, Bolas? He's a cool 17. I said, to who? He said, well, a um, girl named Anna. I said, Anna? He said, yeah, Anna, she's from East Chicago. I said, East Chicago? When did you meet her? He said, I haven't met her. I haven't met her yet. I says, what? You're marrying her? You haven't met her? He says, yes, my, uh, my old man and my, uh, mo my mother, they got together and they picked, uh, they picked her out. And uh, we're getting married in two weeks. Are you coming to the wedding? I said, Bolas, you mean you're marrying a girl you never met? Well, yeah, yeah. I said, oh. At first I thought he was kidding. 
I walked on down, you know, a couple of hours later, I meet Schwartz. I said, Schwartz, did you hear from Bolas? And Schwartz has got a stunned look on his face. He says, yeah. I said, he's not kidding, is he? He says, no, he ain't. And two weeks later, me and Schwartz and Flick attended our first Polish wedding. I'll never forget, the church was rocking for blocks around. They were having this great big wedding thing in the basement. You could just feel the whole neighborhood going up and down. And I went down into the basement where they were having this giant feast, and they had enormous tables set up with hams and pickles and great big jugs of Polish wine, and the band was playing in a corner. And there was this girl dancing around with Polis. She's got this white dress on, a long white wedding gown with dollar bills pinned all over her. I swear to God, what's Polis doing? This wedding went on for maybe two or three weeks. Me and Schwartz and Flick hung around and drank the stuff. Ate the ham, the stuffed cabbage. Bolus was wearing a black suit with a big black tie on. He came over and he's very serious. Now he says, uh, good evening, fellows. I said, hi, Bolus. He said, uh, it's good to see you fellows here. Have you met uh, my wife, Anna? I said, yeah, hi, Anna. She says, good evening. And they went out on the floor and they danced some more. So I pinned a dollar on her, the only dollar I had. I danced a while and left. Yeah, I know. Just bring it in together. If you didn't understand both of them. All right, so I have to explain it out of here, for God's sake. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you worry so much. Yeah, worrying, though, will spoil the show sometimes. Bring it up. There you go. <laughs> hate to do that on the air. Yes, there you go. <laughs> so you see, you know, maybe Kipling was right. From that time on, we never saw Bolas. Oh, he was gone. He got this house, had these kids, painted his own basement blue. Never saw him again. That was the end of it. <laughs> you see, I've been there. Listening to Gene Shepard, author, raconteur, and commentator on the contemporary scene.